Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. You know, over the years, you have heard me talk about certain heart conditions, both my, my family, my uh, best friend's family, all of that. Irregular heart rhythmia. And what is that? Or irregular heart rhythm? What is it? Well, today, Dr. Rod Passman joining me here today is going to take us on a journey to understand what it is and what the major risk factors are, especially if we're talking about stroke. Uh, atrial fibrillation is something you probably have heard. There is an abbreviation for it, at least in my family. It's called AFib. And so one of the things we want to know is what is it, but not just what is it, what is the depth, the breadth, what, we, what can we do about it, and what do we need to know to be more preventative? Dr. Passman, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it uh, in 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 my family and my best friend's family. That is a a little uh, what do we call it? A little acronym uh, that we're quite familiar with. But I have to tell you, we are. I don't believe we are the norm. There's much to know, much to learn, and much that you all at Northwestern Memorial Hospital have also figured out for us. And I want to make sure we covered that. Let me ask you this: in today's world. What do you think is the reason that AFib has gone almost to the top of the list and becoming most common? What, what is happening with it and how many are affected? Well, that's a great question. You know, this is uh, what many have called an epidemic of atrial fibrillation. Yeah. There are probably between 6 and 8 million people with AFib that we know about. And it's estimated that if you're in your 40s and you're lucky enough to live to your 80s, that you have about a 1 in 4 chance of developing AFib in your lifetime. So, you know, the fact that uh, your family or friends have it is the norm. You know, most of us know a lot of people who have this disease. And if you didn't know that, engage them in conversation at the dinner table and you're going to find who have atrial fibrillation. Part of it is that the population is getting older, and this is a disease of aging. But remember, too, that this may be a disease of some of the comorbidities that happens with a sedentary lifestyle, high blood pressure, yeah. diabetes, obesity. You know, all of those things are fueling the rise of atrial fibrillation. And you know, it, it's an interesting uh, catch-22, because, you know, when I look at this, and at least our family's experience with it, is that, you know, once you are in this epidemic, once you're in this condition, the idea of then getting active in your life, right, and going out and running three miles, uh, it's not going to be something I think that people can do right away. But there are things that people can do to create that lifestyle change. Don't you think that's kind of new? Because most people did not know that there would be a solution that they actually have control over. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think that uh, historically we've thought of treatment for atrial fibrillation. Yeah. And the person that you 
uh, you spoke about. I mean, sometimes the the concern with AFib is that you may not know you have it, or the symptoms may be subtle. You know, some people feel the palpitations, or they get extremely short of breath. But for many people, it kind of sneaks up on them. They're more short of breath when they exert themselves. They're more fatigued at the end of the day. Uh, they're a little lightheaded sometimes, and they may not think it's the AFib. They may attribute it to being a little older or weighing a few more pounds. But these signs or symptoms can be quite subtle. But I think we are also understanding that there are lifestyle choices that one can make earlier in life that may prevent AFib long-term, and some of those you spoke about. And some of them are intuitive, right? We know that exercise is good for you. Uh, we know that weight loss is good for you. Uh, importantly, we know that alcohol is quite toxic to the heart when it comes to abnormal rhythm, and that anything above a glass of wine or a glass of beer with dinner a couple of nights a week increases the risk of developing AFib. We also know that sleep apnea, which is very, very common in America, uh, that that too uh, increases your chances of having AFib and makes the treatment of atrial fibrillation much more challenging if you have sleep apnea and it's not treated. Uh, and then lastly, we're understanding that getting a good night's sleep, trying to reduce stress in the workplace may also reduce the chances of developing AFib long-term. So we're not just looking at this as a reactive process that the medical community takes part of, we now see that patients may uh, engage in lifestyle choices that may have long-term health benefits over the course of decades. And, and you know, that brings me to talking with you about the uh, innovations. Let's let's talk about innovations because, you know, we, I think, have been gathering, or you basically, you all have been gathering lots of information to try to see what might work, what can we do to really help people understand symptoms, you know, maybe on top of what's going on. So tell us a little bit about the research and about the innovation that could literally is a game changer here. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that we need to first establish the fact that we have some very tried and true treatments. You know, blood thinners called anticoagulants have been around since the 1940s. We've all heard of drugs like a called warfarin or coumadin, uh, and anyone who's been on that knows that these are uh, challenging drugs to take. You need to monitor your blood levels. It interferes with foods and other medications. But even in the last eight or nine years, we now have four new medications on the market that are probably better, safer, and easier to take than warfarin. The sad truth is, is that a good percentage of patients who should be on a blood thinner aren't. We don't know whether their doctor's not strongly recommending it or people are just saying, hey, those drugs have risks and I don't want to take them. But the sad truth is, is that strokes due to AFib are often preventable, but we're not penetrating the at-risk population like we should be. So that's one advancement. I think the other is this process of ablation. We can now go into the heart and eliminate the source of the atrial fibrillation uh, with this process called ablation. And that's reserved for people like you described who are symptomatic in their AFib. They want to go running, but they can't because they're so short of breath because their heart's not ejecting blood efficiently. And then I think the other thing that's really just beginning is that the way we monitor patients for atrial fibrillation is changing. As I mentioned, many people may not know they have AFib and the AFib may be intermittent. So if you go to your doctor's office for your yearly physical and your doctor says everything's fine, that doesn't mean you didn't have AFib the day before, and that doesn't mean you won't have AFib the day after. So how do you monitor someone for a disease that may be without symptoms and may come and go? And I think the solution may be what you all have in your pocket, right? The smartphone, you can now download an app or a adapter to your phone that can record the irregular pulse or turn your phone into an EKG machine. 
as many of you know, the new generation of smartwatches yeah. already have the algorithms built into it that could sense AFib. And rarely a day goes by where I don't have an individual coming to me telling me that their Apple Watch told them they had AFib. No doctor told them, their Apple Watch told them. Mm. I mean, this this is almost like when we think about this, doctor, it's almost like sci-fi, but it's not really because we are now living in a time where w- once we innovate, that innovation is then compounded by a newer innovation. And so do you think that in the world we live in, right, the early alert combined with lifestyle changes, what can people expect? Well, I think studies are, 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 are going on now where we're asking the question, can we screen the population, right? Could we find patients' atrial fibrillation uh, and take those who we believe are at risk of stroke and get them on a blood thinner before something catastrophic happens. For many people, the stroke is the first manifestation of the disease. Yeah. And we really need to find those people and treat them before something bad happens. So the technology has led the way, and now you know, it's beholden on us in medicine to understand whether we can leverage these advances in technology to really uh, improve outcomes. Yeah, and I I think we should touch upon the reason that one of the reasons we're talking is because we are talking about preventing stroke. And I I think that that is a disconnect from general population understanding, the relationship between AFib and stroke, right? Is that something that, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, don't you think people are not connecting those two dots? I don't think. Well, I think you're right. And the mechanism is very clear, right? When you have atrial fibrillation, the top portion of the heart called the atrium, uh, beats very rapidly and irregularly. It almost quivers. And the blood flow uh, in the heart, which is normally very brisk, now stagnates. Mm-hmm. And we all know stagnated blood forms clots. If that clot breaks off and goes to the brain, it can cause a major stroke. So that's the connection between the rhythm abnormality and the stroke. And, and, may, that, and that disconnection may be why we're not doing a great job of putting everyone who should be on a blood thinner on a blood thinner. Uh, because if you understood that, if you understood how major strokes are that are due to AFib, most of us would do everything in the world to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Um, and let's do that right now. Um, what is the best way for folks that are, are, are tuning in? What is the best way for them to find out more about this? So let me give you some websites. I could give you the website for the Northwestern Medicine Institution that I work in. And that website is heart.nm.org, O-R-G, that's heart.nm.org. But the Heart Rhythm Society, which is our professional society, has an excellent website, and that's hrsonline.org, O-R-G, hrsonline.org. One last question around this. most people may or may not realize that they can do a simple check uh, for themselves uh, to, to really look into detecting. How does the, the pulse check work? Right. So, you know, if you, if you go to the base of your thumb, right, and put your second and third finger uh, on your radial artery, which sits uh, on your wrist uh, below the base of your thumb, you know, you could feel your pulse. And in atrial fibrillation, uh, the pulse will be irregular. So it doesn't have to be fast, it doesn't have to be slow, but it will be irregular. And if you feel an irregular pulse, you should go to your doctor and get an EKG uh, to confirm 
or possibly not confirm that you have atrial fibrillation. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, since AFib could come and go, sometimes other types of monitoring can be done, but for no cost, we could all feel uh, our pulse to determine whether it's regular or irregular. I want to thank you for this. One last question, and please give the websites again. What's your personal message, Dr. Passman? What would you like to leave us with today? Well, I think that uh, we know that we're all at risk um, from aging alone. There are things that we can do to reduce that risk but not eliminate it, but that if you have atrial fibrillation or signs or symptoms, please seek medical attention. There's a lot that can be done before something terrible happens. Uh, thank you. One more, one more time. Website people can go to, please? Sure. Heart.nm.org or hrsonline.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break, everyone. Please check this out. And by the way, uh, just exactly like Dr. Passman just told you, take that pulse. We'll be right back. Sometimes being human has its challenges. Our physical health falters, our spirits sag, our dreams don't immediately come to fruition. Welcome to the power of Maximum Medicine Radio. Join me, Doc Martin, in conversations that will blow your mind about healing. In our hit show, Doc Martin addresses the scientific with bridging to the mystical approaches to give you a new narrative about Maximum Medicine. In this live call-in show, we will journey into the extraordinary genius of the human body and talk about other beliefs that impact being your multidimensional self. We seek the seen and the unseen and explore the earthbound and the otherworldly, all with the purpose of calling forth the Maximum You. To learn more about Doc Martin and Maximum Medicine, visit www.SharonMartinMD.com. Hey, everybody, welcome. Look, many of you, you've heard me have my niece on the show. You've heard me have my nephews on the show. You've heard me bring my relatives on and say, Auntie, Auntie, you need to learn better Spanish. I'm trying. That's all I want to say. I'm trying. Uh, For those of you out there, this is a very important conversation. I'm very excited to be talking to Francis Masano about this, Senior Managing Partner, New Schools Venture Fund. There is a new report, Latino Entrepreneurs in Education. Can you say that, everybody? Right? Did you hear that? Exciting. There's a new report that explores why Latino education entrepreneurs remain underrepresented and underfunding. Now, we could put this all aside and we could have a big old conversation. I could tell you why that is. But I'd rather ask Francis. Francis, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here with you. Do you think people are surprised when they, they, they listen to us and we say, why Latino education entrepreneurs remain underrepresented? Do, do you think people are surprised or you think they are thinking, yeah, that I, I get that. What, what, what's your sense? And more than your sense, what did you discover? I love research. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to share what we discovered. You know, I think people have a, a, you know, are talking a lot about diversity, whether it's in education or in other sectors. Um, you know, as we think about like what we need to be doing differently as we as we advance our, our country forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you know people are not surprised about the lack of diversity and the lack of of, of, of representation across many fields and in education specifically, because we know that, for example. Um, 
the teacher workforce is not uh, that mm-hmm. diverse either. So folks who might be seeing, um, you know, who's teaching their students, they, 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 w- they likely won't be surprised. Um, but so when we dug into this report, and the reason why we did it is because we were hoping as an organization that's very focused on diversity, that we would see more Latino applicants show mm-hmm. up. And so when they weren't showing up, applying for grants from us, um, we were like, there's more that we need to do. And, you know, for me, as a Latina leader myself, like, yeah. I was very committed to seeing um, greater numbers. So we decided to do a report, and I'm happy to share more about what we learned. Yeah, I, 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 want, to, I want to really hear your perspective on what you found in the report. But what I love about what you're talking about is that you saw something that didn't connect. Right. I mean, I see it. All you need to do is go into our community and you see it. But one of the things that we're not talking about is what the information says. Right. But what's your experience? I know from my experience, my family and families that I just referred to, the, the history of we're calling it entrepreneurship, but I'll tell you, my folks were like, okay, let's grow this, let's sell it. Yeah, and so they didn't great. say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, no, they're like, okay, we got something to sell. Let's grow it, let's sell it, let's plant it, let's grow it, let's sell it. <laughs> I don't think that hasn't yeah. changed, right? No, that hasn't changed. And I think that was one of the things that we learned that I wouldn't say was striking for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of assumed it, but it's great to have the numbers behind it. That, yeah. You know, as you know, this report, 50% of the, of, the, of the folks we surveyed said, you know, they came from a deep family history of entrepreneurship, right? And they may not have used the word entrepreneur, but no. what they saw was that their mom or their dad or their uncles or aunts or grandparents were starting businesses. And we're thinking about what they could sell, had that hustle and that drive to really get ahead and to think about how they could create economic opportunity for their family. And so, you know, so many of the Latino education entrepreneurs that we engaged as part of this report, we're talking about that. And we're talking about that as a key asset to why they wanted to step out and start something new, whether it was a new school, a new nonprofit, um, an education technology, you know, program, um, they had that drive and they thought, you know, kind of being done before. Yeah. And let's talk about this because it's a drive that many people don't understand. They don't explain. But, you know, look, for those of us, here's what I know. As far as I can remember, you know, Papa had an absolute in the Bronx in New York. He sold old tires as for as young as I can remember going to his shack in the Bronx before it was the Bronx that it is today and tires upon tires upon tires upon tires were there because he saw a need that people back in that day and age needed tires and some of these tires were not worn out completely and he just set something up to sell them But giving back, too, is important. And let's talk about funders and those people that are looking for funding, because those are the folks we got to connect. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, Dr. Pat, like there's something you said that's so important. It's like your your family member saw a need for tires in the community and was able to kind of pull a business together to meet that need. And what we're finding with the Latino education entrepreneurs that we engage is that they see a need in their local community. They see a need for improved educational opportunity and are so passionate about 
filling that need because they know many of them have benefited from opportunities themselves. You know, maybe they got scholarship to schools. Um, maybe they were supported by a nonprofit or they see the sacrifices that their families were making to support them on their journey. And they're like, I must take that passion, take that deep understanding of my community and do something about it. And so for us, you know, as funders of entrepreneurs, it's that passion and that drive and that connection to community, that connection to understanding a need that is so important and we believe will make people successful over the long term. So, you know, oh, please go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, Because I really want to talk about what you all are doing because you're filling, let me just say for lack of a better word, you're filling a gap. And it's a gap yeah. that in 10 minutes, you and I are not going to be able to articulate very well. Right. So I want to really get to the work that you're doing, you know, as yeah. you, you integrate some of this information in there. But there is a yeah. gap. And what, what you saw and what you have come to the call to help with, I think, is really the key point of, the, of this conversation yeah. today. Don't you think? Yeah, well. I I think so for sure. And so the major gap we saw is that, one, there aren't enough Latino education entrepreneurs showing up. Mm -hmm. And and they're not getting the funding they need to really have their ideas grow and expand. And I was struck, Dr. Pat, Mm -hmm. when I saw that only 30% of the people who um, participated in our survey were getting any kind of funding. And then only 50% of of, of them said that that they knew, you know, who were the 10 major education philanthropies, right? Um, And for those who who didn't get any funding, only 20% of them had even applied at all. And so what that says to me is like, there's so many barriers that are not, um, that are getting in the way of Latino education entrepreneurs getting the support and funding they need. And so what we need to do as an organization like New Schools and other funders need to do is really think about how do we get the message out there about our funding opportunities? How do we let people understand what they need to do to be successful and be more transparent about our processes and about how to kind of go through the different steps? We need to extend and expand our network so that we can reach Latino education entrepreneurs no matter where they are. And we were struck by the fact that Hispanic chambers of commerce were a huge resource for Latino entrepreneurs in their communities. And I got to tell you, Dr. Pat, Mm -hmm. we haven't been partnering with them. And so for us, it was kind of like, hey, that's that's a clear next step um, for us to take. And so... Lastly, I'd just say we also need to tell more stories about the range of entrepreneurs that we're supporting so that Latino education entrepreneurs can see themselves represented. And so those are some of the ideas that we're taking forward and hoping that other funders will will follow us in Mm -hmm. in, in taking steps as well. Yeah, because you know this, right? I'm preaching to the choir, but storytelling is what we're made of. I mean, if you go back culturally, generations, generations, hundreds of years, storytelling, whether it's written word or or verbally, it is that. You know, one of the things I read in your report, and I want to commend you on this report, uh, Francis, I want to commend you on this report. It's just incredibly insightful. You know, one of the things you say in your opening letter is we believe talent and genius are equally distributed, but access to opportunity is not. No kidding, Right. I mean, (laughs) and do you think that's a factor? Why more Latino? Why we just not coming out and saying, okay, I could use some funding. Yeah, that's right. I think that's part of it. Um, One, it's fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. You know, so many Mm -hmm. folks have have not necessarily been supported by institutions uh, like like philanthropies in the past. 
Um, and so I think there's part of it is fear, fear of rejection, but also not knowing the steps that you can take um, to get to get out there. And so really, I think the work that many of us need to do from our seat and, and, and the great work like you're doing, Dr. Pat, and, and telling these stories is like, how do we let folks know about the opportunities that exist and then provide the coaching and support along the way so that people can be successful as they, as they seek support, as they seek funding, as they try to grow their organization? I want to ask you this. I know we're short of time, and let me just get this last question in because I think it's at the core of a number of things. And I, I'm, I fall in this category. You know, uh, Latino education entrepreneurs are more likely to be juggling multiple responsibilities than other entrepreneurs. We need to really be clear are more likely to be juggling multiple responsibilities than other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. That is a giant, giant load on a shoulder. I get it because I've Absolutely. done it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, with that, it's like that deep sense of responsibility. If I step out and do this risky thing of starting something new, what's going to happen to my family? Right? Oh. And that is not something to be taken lightly because it is a risky path. And when you don't feel like you have the kind of sustainability or stability that you need, it, it, it's a scary thing to do. And I think part of what we need to be able to say is like, hey, you know what? You may not be ready to go full time right away. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you the funding. And over time, how can we support you to get to the point where you will be ready to focus on your idea full time? And so I think really understanding the experiences that Latino entrepreneurs are having mm-hmm. and really thinking about how we tailor our work to best support them is is critical. Yeah. So look, this is a collectivist culture. It doesn't matter how you study it upside down. And what that means is we believe in community. We believe in family. That's right out of the gate. There's no question. And so I want to ask you this last question, because I think this is important. Local communities, clearly there is a strong calling. And sometimes I've, I've called it an innate, innate attraction to improve local communities in a million ways. We've seen it across the United States now. uh, But this particular thing, I think, frustrates entrepreneurs uh, more than I think anything else. What did you discover about that? And last question, please give us information where people can find out more. Sure, sure. Yeah, I would say what we found out is like that deep understanding of community was the fuel that were driving the Latino education entrepreneurs we spoke to. And, you know, as they reflected on the opportunities they had, as they reflected on the opportunities that were missing for all the other students parents and community members that they were engaging with every single day, oftentimes these Latino entrepreneurs were stepping off of very lucrative paths, you know, in in corporate America, um, as an example, and saying, I must do something Mm -hmm. because of all that was given to me, I must do something. And so that was really the driving force yeah. of, 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 you know, and, and, and the passionate work they were doing to really drive change in their communities. Uh, so well, Dr. Pat, thank what I you. would say is folks want to learn more, go to newschools.org. So newschools with an S dot org. And last question, when are you going to do the follow-up study, Francis? Like, you know, like you have nothing else to do, right? <laughs> Well, we're always looking to deepen our understanding of this issue to think about what we can do to support more leaders of color. Um, And so you can definitely expect more follow-up work from us in the future. All right, Francis, thank you so much for everything, really. Thank you for stepping out there. It takes courage to do that. uh, And thank you for doing it. We're going to take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. 
You know that moment when you realize you've mastered your wellness or that you will never fall off the roller coaster of life? Well, yeah, me either. But I still ride unicorn. I will teach you how to become a mindset master. You will learn how your habits and behavior affect the success of your nutrition and exercise, relationships, organization, and so much more. Motivation doesn't arrive in an email, so stop waiting for it. You have to take action, then motivation follows. I am Coach Peggy Well. Get out of your comfort zone and recognize the simple truth. We aren't that special. We all have crap to deal with, and we all have a lot more in common than not. I want to spark you into action. We will learn, love, and laugh together. So join me every first and third Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific for Coach Couch and Coffee Radio, where you will learn that being happy and healthy is way more than carrot sticks and squats. Talk to you later. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. The Power of Inspiration and Awakening Radio with Julia Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Yep, this is another good news segment for me, Dr. Pat, right here on Transformation Talk Radio, Dr. Pat Show. Look. What is it that we should know about preparing for success? So in 15 years, raise your hand if you've heard me do a show on success. But have you ever heard me talk about success when it comes to being financially prepared? Not that often. That's why Barton Lero is joining me here today, investment director, portfolio solutions team, uh, and much more than that, Satera Financial Group. Why? Because we need to know a few things. And here's what I want to say for everybody that's saying, ah, well, I didn't do it. No, it's never too late. Bart, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Dr. Pat. Pleasure to be here. Okay, this is really kind of important for a lot of reasons. Um, You know, you're here to share some information, but... It is very clear that Americans do feel financially unprepared. And you know how it showed up? It showed up in the latest global survey that was done, putting Americans at the top of the anxiety list. And so let's talk about what you discovered and why is it we feel that way, Bart? Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. If you look at the the top 10 in terms of the most um, stressful life events, Preparing for retirement is always in that top 10, and it's something that has a lot of variability, and there's something that is very individualized that in, that investor and the person going through it. So there's a lot of generic, if you will, or broad advice that's available out there, but until you get into the details about the preferences as well as the financial situation of that investor, really it, it can be troubling for most people. You know, let's talk about this too. Uh, troubling is one thing, but unprepared is another. That One of the things we're going to talk about is what we need to do to really face this head on. But here's the thing that I would love for you to talk about. Most of us think we have to figure this out alone. And I, I have to tell you, in my own personal journey, I've never been able to figure it out alone. Whether it's a financial advisor, whether it's a coach for success, I really don't even know what I don't know. So can you talk about the role of financial advisor and more importantly, 
how that role has changed over the past five and 10 years. Yeah, so the role of a financial advisor is to be able to look at each individual's situation and use the perspective that they have of working with multiple clients and in some cases thousands of clients and trying to apply solutions for that investor uh, with that uh, know-how, you know, and, and they're trying to provide that coaching, if you will, throughout a financial strategy or throughout the financial life of that investor to really try to course correct or make sure that they enjoy their life. You know, there's a lot of individuals that um, might not feel prepared, but they could sit down with an advisor and say, hey, I'm in a good spot. I can really take a little more stress out of my day-to-day by having the comfort of knowing that my financial advisor has looked at my situation and we have a game plan to go forward with um, and adjust if need be. So it's that peace of mind, it's that understanding of solutions and and what can add success and and really how to avoid obstacles in retirement or or major pitfalls. Um, I want to talk a a little bit about the role of technology. And the reason I bring up the role of technology is, you know, as a broadcast network, you know, we are on the, on the verge of launching a, a new type of technology for broadcasting and podcasting. So we know that technology has changed in order to put the tools in the hands of the people. Let me ask you about that, because you know, many people are so hands-on and baby boomers are no exception. Yeah, technology is a, a fantastic thing, and it's been applied to add efficiencies across multiple industries and professions. Um, I would say the financial uh, services profession and industry has really benefited from that because we're now able to really do massive calculations uh, specific to an individual and very quickly. So you're able to apply some of the best minds, their thought process, through prescriptive guidance, through machine learning, through building algorithms that can dynamically help investors uh, through the use of that technology. And it's really being able to meet that consumer, meet that client in that modern experience that they're looking for, not only to calculate and determine how they can uh, have success, but also visually see where they are and and be able to know what types of levers might need to be changed or trade-offs to get back on track. So technology is drastically important, not only from a client experience, but really taking those expertise and bringing it down to the masses. It's, it's, it's benefited uh, us a great deal um, from my lens. Well, you, before we get too far into this, uh, what is the uh, website that people can check out and find out more about? And then I'd like to ask you, we don't know what we don't know. So I, I'm really curious about some of the questions. But for, for the moment, please give out your website here so folks can find out. Yeah, it's satera.com, and that's spelled C-E-T-E-R-A.com. So again, satera.com, C-E-T-E-R-A.com. Um, one of the technologies that we have, an approach we use, is called Set Income. You can find information about that uh, at satera.com, as well as any other services that uh, solutions that we provide. And, and what is Set Income? What does that tool do? Yeah, so it's a it's a place to ready uh, investors for retirement income. So looking at their individual needs with five inputs, a financial advisor can start creating a strategy down to implementable advice. So we're marrying investment solutions 
with that digital interface, taking um, a very sophisticated logic and, and having it calculate scenarios for an individual. And you uh, basically get a score from zero to 99 that determines what percentage chance you have to meet your goal. So it gives you that really guide, if you will, to uh, know where you need to improve or really where you stand. And it can be dynamically changed um, on annual reviews. So it's really a roadmap for retirement income. Um, You know, Bart, there are a lot of questions we could ask. Uh, uh, What are the top three that you see come up over and over and over again that people nine times out of 10 forget to actually even ask? Yeah, I think I think the first thing is um, some of that personality skills. I, mm-hmm. I, when interviewing advisors, um, a lot of people want to just focus on you know the, the stuff that comes top to mind: experience, costs, um, you know, other uh, other types of offerings that they have. But you know, you have to remember a financial advisor and a client relationship is very personal. You have to be open. It has to be something where you can feel you can communicate. So I think some of those soft skills uh, sometimes don't get highlighted enough in terms of trying to find a good financial advisor. Mm -hmm. But if you're just looking broadly, I would want to make sure that you're asking about the the access to different solutions, that the financial advisor has uh, a very large palette, if you will, to go ahead and create um, success for somebody. They're not just stuck in one area of the profession. So what access do they have? Um, you also want to make sure that you know, you're asking questions about uh, their affiliation and their experience. And then again, lastly, what that client experience looks like. How are we going to communicate? How ongoing will it be? Um, can we adjust this strategy? What does that look like? So trying to understand what you're getting into uh, and build that relationship on a good spot from day one because sometimes tough conversations happen. And a lot of times you want to be relating to that individual that's helping you in your journey through um, any type of financial goal or financial financial uh, conversation. You know, um, last question, because I know you've got so many of these to do. And again, please tell us a website. You know, what do you see on the horizon in terms of what folks need to be thinking about, regardless of age? Yeah, so I always come to the two most fundamental things that really tell you about your financial health, and that's your personal cash flow statement. So what are you spending and what do you have coming in to spend that money? You need to, you need to have that in a positive place. You need to be able to having a positive cash flow. You need to be able to save money, right? That's number one, personal cash flow statement. Number two is your personal balance sheet. That's the assets that you own, the savings that you have, and any type of loans you might uh, or liabilities. So car loans, mortgages, student loans. So it's having a good grasp on that throughout your entire life and having a, a, a gauge of it, if you will. But the real, the biggest questions in terms of being prepared right now is really taking an evaluation of really your risk in a portfolio if you are trying to retire. We just are coming out and we're still in the longest economic expansion um, that our, our great country has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there's been what we call drift in people's portfolios. So if you were a moderate investor 10 years ago, your risk allocation because of that performance and because of how assets have, um, have uh, increased really are putting you much more in a growth portfolio now. And that could be a surprise for some people. So I would say those those are two very basic things to look at, really your, your cash flow and your financial health. And number two, where you stand in terms of your risk and your allocation today. Those are a great place to start. 
I love it. Thank you so much. Again, give out that website, please. Yeah, it's Cetera.com, and that's C-E-T-E-R-A.com. That's C-E-T-E-R-A.com. Great resources, access to uh, advice, and I really appreciate the time, Dr. Pat. Yeah, no kidding. Very important. Hey, everybody, lots of information here. Please check it out. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Have you heard of drawing a longer line? A teacher drew a line on the board and asked her students how to make the line shorter without changing or erasing it. No one knew the answer, so she drew a longer line right next to the first one. You can be just like that teacher. If you lack self-confidence, you can draw a longer line. Think of someone you love, someone who inspires you, and ask yourself, what would they do? Remember, you don't have to change the fear or try and get rid of it. A bigger thought, a larger feeling, has the power to release you from the limits that undermine your confidence then you're free to take inspired action, to be your best self. Hi, I'm Sarah Main, co-host of Conscious Confidence Radio. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Pat, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. To learn more about how to transform your life with Conscious Confidence, go to my website, ConsciousConfidence.com. On the cutting edge of the new mainstream, Christine Upchurch is passionate about bringing together science, psychology, and spirituality in a way that can be applied to our everyday lives for true transformation. The Christine Upchurch Show, stellar conversations to illuminate your journey, engages some of the most outstanding visionaries on the planet in lively dialogue to inspire you to become that bright light you're meant to be. Join Christine every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on KKNW, AM 1150, and Transformation Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. Now, you know, look, I I think there's a lot of things we can say about social media, but social media has literally been the lifeline for those of us here that have done shows in the digital arena and for 15 years. But what don't we know about this? What do we know and what don't we know? Do we know that there's a way to use the absolutely phenomenal connections we have to make a difference in the world. Garima Sinha is joining me here today, Global Leader for Charitable charitable Giving. Why? Because I'm telling you that there are funds to be had to create a better world. And we're looking at that right now. Uh, Garima, thank you for joining me here today. Thank you, Dr. Bart, for having me. I am so thrilled to be able to talk to you and your listeners um, about Facebook fundraisers. Well, let's talk about it because, you know, there are many people that have great ideas and Mm -hmm. they just don't know where to go to get support and help. And not everybody can call up a billionaire or or a venture capitalist and say, hey, have a few bucks. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I'm so excited to share that People on Facebook have used, have raised over $2 billion mm. using Facebook fundraisers. That's amazing, right? $2 billion from over 45 million people um, in a few years. It's an incredible milestone for us. But the thing that's personally very interesting and exciting to me for this is over $1 billion is coming from birthday fundraisers. And what that tells me is birthday fundraisers has become this amazing cultural phenomenon, the new cool way for everybody to celebrate their birthday, do something good in the world, and contribute to something bigger, right? 
and that's really the inspiration for us building these products is how do we make it so easy and so simple for people to fundraise for causes they care about that everybody can do it. Yeah. You just said major, major words. (laughs) How do we make it easy for people? Um, You know, look, I've been doing uh, Positive Talk Radio for 15 years and launched my own network in 2010. We're coming up on a 10-year celebration. And so it's really cool. And we have a technology that has not yet been developed in broadcasting. But the point is not that. The point is that our listeners are driving what it is they want us to develop. And in this world, they want to know more about wellness and things that are going to help them change their lives and change the planet. What is it from your perspective and what you've discovered that seems to be, if I might say, your top Uh, three things people should know? You know, uh, I'm so glad that you asked that because one of the things that I have really come come to terms with having seen the impact that people have driven using Facebook fundraisers is one thing, right? And that is everybody in the world has something to give Mm -hmm. and everybody in the world wants to help and give, right? And it's really about building products and tools that make it easy for them to do so. And none of this would be possible if people were not as generous as they are, if people did not want to help the causes that they are helping. Um, and we have simply just built the tools to unlock their, the good in them and unlock their generosity to, to make this happen. B, I think um, a lot of people feel like sometimes, you know, you have to donate $500 to make a difference. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, you could donate as little as $5 and it makes a difference. Yeah. It's not that on Facebook people are raising millions of dollars for every fundraiser. It's really a lot of people donating as little or whatever amount they can to support a cause. And that is what is coming together to make this $2 billion milestone, right? It, is, it isn't about $1,000. You can give $5 and make a difference. It's really up to you to just go out there and do it. Well, this is the thing I love because one of the things that people think is they do think that they have to contribute large sums of money. But that is really not the pattern or the trend that we're seeing. And certainly that has not been the case with crowdfunding, for example, right? right? Um, What would you say for yourself? I want to sort of get underneath why this has been an important initiative for Facebook, you know, to really step out in front with this. Um, Facebook is all about community. Like Facebook is the platform where people go and they are there with their friends and family. But if you really dig a little bit deeper, right, what we saw with ALS a couple of years ago was all these people um, and this moment going viral on Facebook about raising money and awareness for ALS. But if you just dig a little bit deeper for a minute, what you would see is Facebook is the place where people go and talk about what they care about. Facebook is the place where you go and share what's happening in the world. There were hurricanes in the Bahamas. There is California wildfires, right? You are on Facebook talking about these things, discovering these things, sharing these things with your friends and family, and you are liking it, commenting on it, sharing. What else can you do, right? And for us, 
It was really how do we empower our community to make a difference? How do we make it easy for them to make a difference? And that's the reason why these tools have picked up because they are where you are. They are where your friends and family are. And so you no longer just need to like or comment on something. You could donate to a cause and actually be a part of the change. And that's the most powerful thing about these tools. And that's what inspires us to do it when we see how people use these tools at scale. I love it. I want to ask you this. Uh, first of all, let's make sure we let folks know uh, the where they can go on Facebook to find out more. And then let's talk about what they're going to find them when they get there. <laughs> um, thank you for asking that. Um, you can go to facebook.com slash fundraisers to find more about how to fundraise, which nonprofits are supported, just like step-by-step instructions on what to do. You could go to uh, the fundraisers tab on your mobile app, which I bet you are on. And again, you will see a lot of content there. You can also discover fundraisers that other people are already running, and you could just simply donate to them in a couple of clicks. Um, And lastly, if it's your birthday, we actually nudge you a few days before your birthday to set up a fundraiser, and you can choose from over 1.5 million vetted nonprofits on Facebook to create a fundraiser for. Um, It's really as easy as that and takes less than a few seconds to do it. Um, I know I'm probably going to kind of put you on the hot seat here for a minute. Mm-hmm. What do you see are going to be the trends? And, and, and this is just a vision type question for you because you're closest to this. But wh- what do you see on the horizon? Um, for, if any, when I think about, you know, rest of the year, like giving season is coming yeah. in. Yeah, it kicks on and in, in like kicks in in a few months. Yeah, and we are very very excited to kick it off on uh, Facebook and see how people use it this time. Last year on Giving Tuesday, people on Facebook raised over one twenty million dollars in one day. In one day, and that was mind blowing, right? And we are really excited to see how people use this this year. And now, if I think about like really, you know, long term vision, I wonder and i have been there personally in certain situations where just believe that world will be a much 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 better place if every person and cause had the support of their community Mm -hmm. and the thing i think about a lot in my role is how do we make that happen yeah right and so it's really how do we get out there how do we build awareness how do we give people the confidence that they can be a part of something bigger and just make sure that the word is getting out there for people to use it and the other thing is, how do we go to every place that people are on? So, for example, earlier this year, we launched donation stickers on Instagram. So you could actually start fundraising on Instagram if you use Instagram more or if you have a different set of following on Instagram. I do this a lot. For causes, you know, there are certain causes that I fundraise for on Facebook app. And then on Instagram, I actually fundraise via my two-year-old dog's account. He has 8,000 followers. He's wow. super cute long years, right? And so when I fundraise for shelters and rescues from his account, he gets a lot of support because not just because he's cute, but his followers really care about similar causes, right? So it's really about finding your community um, and, you know, finding that connection and people feeling like they can do this very easily. Well, so you mentioned Giving Tuesday. Uh, Mm -hmm. When is that? I believe Giving Tuesday this year is the 
second uh, or third of December. It happens the Tuesday after. Yes, oh, it's December third. December third, yeah. right? Perfect. December third, yeah, yeah. And you know that's interesting because we were going to position this around my upcoming birthday in December, <laughs> and so uh, you know, here's the thing that I love about all of this. There's an energy to this. Do you know what I mean when I say there's an energy and a vibration to this? Yeah. (laughs) There's an energy and a vibration to this. And from the very first day we started the show in 2003, we launched this with a pay it forward requirement, meaning Mm -hmm. any guest and anybody that ever came on my show had to contribute something to our listeners, pay it (laughs) forward. What is the energy, if I could ask you this type of question, what is the energy that you would uh, attribute to this very specific uh, Facebook initiative to help people? The, the best way I can <laughs> say that is, you know, these numbers are talking for themselves. Right? Mm-hmm. $2 billion from 45 million people mm-hmm. creating or donating to a fundraiser. This is happening at scale. Mm-hmm. This is not about, you know, one, two, or a handful of people making big donations. It's about everybody feeling like they can contribute. And that's really the energy. It's like people coming together, people really supporting other people. It's the place where community is, and it's your easiest way to be a part of something bigger. And, like, I think to that, it's also fun, right? Like, birthday yeah. fundraisers has become this really fun thing. You don't just say, I'm going to celebrate my birthday at like X, Y, or Z bar. You also say, what are you going to support on your birthday? Yeah. And your friends and family can, your birthday gift is their support for the cause, their donation to the cause you care about, not just giving you a gift, right? And that's like, that's really fun. And that's your like birthday night conversation for your friends and family. And that's how you just, not just you supporting a cause, but everyone around you doing it for you. And it makes people feel incredibly supported and a part of the larger community. Wow. First of all, let me thank you for bringing this message out there. We're really excited to be partnering with you all on this. Um, So one more time, please let folks know the best place for for them to find out more. And and then the last question is your personal message. I would like Mm -hmm. to know what you'd like to leave our listeners with. And thank you again. Thank you so much again for having me. I'm more than excited to be able to talk about this with you all. Um, the best way to know more and to take an action is go to facebook.com slash fundraisers or go to fundraisers tab on your mobile app. And both places you can easily create a fundraiser or you could donate to one very easily. And if your birthday is coming up, stay tuned and make sure you create a birthday fundraiser this time around. Um, And to answer the last question, I think, like, to me, the most fascinating part about this is the people who have made Facebook fundraisers the fastest-growing giving platform in the country. Mm. Facebook fundraisers is where America goes to donate. It's right there in your hands. You can do it from your phone. It takes a couple of seconds, maybe even faster. Just do it. Like it's, And you can be a part of the change that's already happening in the world around you. Yeah, be the change you want to see, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you for everything. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a short break, everyone. And just so you all know, we have two fundraisers coming up. One is to create an innovative app and video game for Lyme disease. We even have the characters developed 
already developed. And the other, of course, is to accelerate our technology. We'll be right back. <laughs> 